0: Here is a sermon message from Somerville Community Baptist Church. To hear more sermons like this, please visit ilabscbc.org. I'm really excited that we are starting this new, brand new series called the Daniel, of modern loop, and an ancient loop. How many of you know about the story of Daniel? Okay, okay, what are the stories that you know about? Daniel is in the lion's den. And Daniel and three friends are Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. And then they were in the fiery furnace. We all heard about this story, right? We learned especially from our Sunday school lesson. But what many of us may not know, this book of Daniel, even though it was written some thousand years ago, it has a lot of relevance to our life. It speaks the volume about how we should live our life here in the 21st century in America, here in the city of Somerville. It really teaches us volume about how we can make this our courageous Christian living, despite all this, you know, differences, temptation, and also distraction and then all different things. And mm-hmm. that's what we hope to accomplish um, through these four weeks of sermon series. Um, Pastor Turner and myself will be delivering this message. I hope this time for the next four weeks that you will be able to um, have some wisdom and understanding and idea about how that we should leave this Word that seems to be very foreign, that seems to be very far from that we are teaching here inside of the church. What is it that we can learn to apply to our life? Now, as I begin this message I wanted to give you um, this survey, the introduction, introductory about the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel was written some 2,600 years ago. It is one of the Old Testament books. Do you know how many chapters in the book of Daniel? It's so 12 chapters. And then you can actually um, you know, separate into two big parts in those 12 chapters. This is a time you take note. This is a time that you open your ears to get all this information so that when you read the book of Daniel, that will help you. Now, first part, from chapter 1 through chapter 6, it talks about story. Stories about the Daniel and those three friends. How faith-filled and courageous, you know, men are able to really experience God's miracle. But the second part is more of Daniel's personal Prophecies, you know, visions and dreams, which has a close relationship, also connection to the Book of Revelation. Okay, so if you want to have better understanding about Book of Revelation, you should read in conjunction or reference of the Book of Daniel from especially seventh chapter through twelfth chapters. Now, Book of Daniel uh, was written in what language? hebrew right because that's all other you know the bible in the old Testament was written all our majority and the, what's really interesting is from the second chapter through the seventh chapter in some verses um it was written in aramaic okay and some people said that that's because aramaic is like national language at the time and, and and it's a story it's an amazing story that people they wanted to really spread as many you know or the many nations as possible this how that it was written in Aramaic. Okay? Um, now, the book of Daniel, it is about, not about the Daniel story. I hope that you understand that. Book of Daniel is truly the story of God. Okay? The main character is not about Daniel and three friends. It is God. You will see how often that God intervened in the midst of the Daniel and in three friends as they were struggling, God provide, God delivers, God gave favor. You'll find all those phrases as you are reading the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel, it is about the story of God, how God intervenes in the midst of their life. Now, here are some historical backgrounds. I hope that you still pay attention to it. Now, verse 1 says this. We can read it all together. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, the Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and deceased it. So in the reign of the Jehoiakim, it's around 606 B.C. After the arose of this great nation called Babylon, after they conquered under the leadership of King Nebuchadnezzar, Assyria and six 16 BC. And uh, Babylon wants to expand their territory by invading all the countries around them. And one of the countries is Judea, southern part of Israel. At that time, the northern part of Israel was already destroyed by Assyria. In 606, around 606 BC, the Babylonians, under the leadership of King Nebuchadnezzar, they invade. They did not destroy at the time. Okay, but they start taking people as captives into their land. What really struck me about the king of Ganesha, not only he was one of the most powerful men in the world at the time, he was also a very smart and brilliant man. You know, when a king or the army or a nation went and attacked other nations, what they usually do to simulate the, all the roots they usually kill. They usually kill those who are, let's say, next generation leader. Those who are smart and brilliant, they kill. They try to get rid of the, all the roots. But that wasn't the story of the king of Ganesh. He had a better strategy. He thinks, okay, you know what? We have this amazing culture. At the time, the Babylonian culture is just amazing. They're all advanced in so many different ways. We'll bring people into our land. We'll teach them. And our study, our religion, our language, and we'll also rename them. And we'll also have them where, according to our culture, have them learning our culture so that we can Babylonize them. Right? And that's where we find um, our character, Daniel. Let's read verse 3. Then the king ordered Aspenazia, the chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the loyal family and the nobility, young man without physical defect, handsome, showing uh, to, for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand and qualified to serve in the king's palace. And he was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. You see the strategy of assimilation was so brilliant because uh, they were so proud of themselves. When you come to my culture, you can just you know, ignore it because we have a better, profound, and this lavish culture. You will come in, and you cannot stop loving our culture. That's what they did. They trained them for three years. They are going to be serving um, in a, under this leadership of the king of Nebuchadnezzar, and then later on, they're going to be sending back to their own country. And it's so obvious what's going to happen next week after that, right? And that's where we find our friend, you know, Daniels. And think about that. I want you to picture this and imagine And as you are putting yourself into Daniel's shoes. Bible clearly said he came from either royal or noble family. He has this promising life. He had all this education. He had this one, this monotheist God he has worshipped. He has all friends and peoples and family. They are all in agreement with how to worship God, how to lead this life together. And all of a sudden, he found himself left in this foreign land, hostile. He can't even practice his faith the way that he used to be before. He can't even eat the food that he wanted. Not to mention that he was separate from all his relationship with his family. He found himself in this foreign and different, full of temptation. And in this nation called the Bible. And I believe that's where we also find our story. Think about that. Isn't there a lot of similarities between the world that we're living in right now and the world before, um, about 200 and 600 years ago, that when Daniel was facing. Have you ever really felt that? Um, when I went to Canada in Vancouver about almost 20 years ago, I felt this um, identity crisis. The guy who was born and grew up always in the church. Um, there is a certain way of worshiping, and you had to go to church no matter what. Okay, you sick that you die in the church. Okay, there's no there's there's no excuses. Really, that's, that's our culture. I was born and grew up that kind of culture, and all of a sudden, I found myself in this foreign land, and very uh, indifferent and hostile to Christianity in Canada at the time. Not many people were believers, and they considered me as a naive, the believer, going to the church every single Sunday. Really? Why? Because you don't believe yourself, that you can't do it? Not only that... I was facing a cultural shock. My friends, Canadian friends, and also people came from South Korea studying their English. I found this you know, man and woman, boyfriend and girlfriend, they start living together in an apartment because there's no you know, guidance by their parents. And then their excuse was to save some money, right? To save some money they can live in the same apartment. It was just so much of different culture that I was experiencing. And I felt really identity crisis. I didn't know the God that I was believing was really true. The way I was practicing my Christianity was really true. Are they doing all this? Is this okay? And I believe that's exactly the same thing that Daniel felt, right? Think about that. Daniel probably uh, cry out to God saying, Lord, you are the God. I thought you were in charge of my life. Here I am. I am left over here. I am in this foreign country. Everything is hostile to me. I know you don't make any mistake, but what is it that you put me here? I'm sure that you have a plan for that. And I'm sure he surely reminded himself of this prophecy that was given from God through the prophet Jeremiah. This is an amazing, amazing prophecy. Um, That's our title, the living right side up in an upside down world. I mean, would you agree that we feel like we're living in an upside-down world, right? Think about our our respectful politicians. Their their main goal is not unite people who came from all different nations, and their goal is what split it up, divide to gain what they want, their power, their interest. How about a lot of businesses? What is it really driving them to do the great business? It's about making more profit, to the point that when you go to a grocery. You don't even believe, right? It says organic. Really, it's organic. I, I have always this thought. Whenever I ch- check on those ads, it says organic, cage-free, and really, I have this second thought in thought. Really, you can make this profit? Market basket like three and a quarter dollars, and an organic and cage-free. Those ads. It is a difficult, and I feel like we are living this upside down. We're living in a world that doesn't want you to know the God of creation. We're living in a word that doesn't want you to really leave out according to your faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're living in a word that tends to rob you of worship of God. We're living in this um, upside down word, and I believe that God, especially this instruction that we are about to see uh, from prophet Jeremiah, is going to give you the great um, instruction about how to leave this upside-down word to the right side up. let it all together. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. And find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they to may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, and do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city, to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prosper, you too will prosper. This prophecy was given before this exile took place. This prophet Jeremiah was contemporary prophet of this Daniel's time. While they are in exile, prophet Jeremiah was staying in Jerusalem. Whereas the prophet Ezekiel actually went with them in the land of Babylon. And God, through the prophet Jeremiah, gave these profound and amazing instructions. What did God say? You are going to be in exile in different country. You will see all those upside down of culture, upside down of what you used to know. But this is instruction. This is what I want you to do. What's the first one? Sit the shalom, sit the shalom, and prosper your I've been really struggling with this word shalom. What does that mean? Sikh the shalom. Does that mean that you are taking one step back so that not going to make any circumstance or any problem so that you can kind of in, keep in distance, you know, not arguing? I don't think that is sickness and shalom, right? It's more profound than that. It's not like that you are not, on, uh, you know, arguing or, you know, having debating so that you can have this peace temporarily. No, it was a lot more than that. Six shalom. It's more than that. I believe the Sikh Shalom is to, uh, you know, overcome the reality. Reality of who we are. Accepting the difference. Sikh Shalom is this have a peace and comfort in your heart. As you are just being there in the presence of the Lord. I was telling our small groups people, you know, as a Christian, I also have a conversation with the Stacy yesterday. We as a Christian, we should be different. Not to be different than higher or lower. No, we should be different. Some people come to us, they find peace. Peace is not the meaning of that, you know what, we're good. We have this relationship. No. People who are struggling and going through all different stages of their life come to you and find somehow, you know what, I have a comfort in my heart. Pray with me. Because I know the God that you believe can do anything. Seek the Shalom. How about this context of the church? What does that even mean, the secret shalom? It's not like um, you know, I'm making all these different nationalities, giving them equal rights so that you're not going to complain. No, it's about accepting the difference. Amen? It's about reaching out of your comfort zone and getting to know more about it. It's about like the way I said, you know, saying good morning in 11 different, 13 languages. As a whirling, it took me about half an hour to figure it out in all different languages, and I wasn't even perfect, right? Seek the Shalom, given your family and your work, church, community, can be shown in so many different languages. And it's through so many different, um, you know, the, the fictions or the images. I'm not going to give you that answer. This is the way that you seek the Shalom. It's your responsibility. It's my responsibility, it's our responsibility, working together to find the things that we can bring peace. A lot of uh, missionaries, I really truly appreciate that they're a great work. They all, a lot of time they sacrificed to the point of their life. You know, and then something that they did not do well is really sick the shalom. When they go into their indigenous community or, this um, country, what they brought wasn't just gospel message only. They brought their culture. They brought their own understanding of Christianity, as if that, that's the truth, as if that they know everything, and brought them into their nations, and each nations, and they destroyed the prayer culture. Can we apply that to seek the shalom into our mission trip, or the mission life? That means accepting the culture willing you to be taking a you know, step of faith and take the step of this comfort zone, getting out of it, and try to be with them, mingle with them, not go and bring with this answer. I think that's what really the shalom means. Don't say you know everything. How about starting your Christian life with this humble and humility and compassionate and loving heart. Hey, I'm here. I mean, there are some, I have a faith that is not going to be challenged, but I'm willing to know about you. The shift of shalom really can be described in so many different ways. What is it, given your circumstance, in the meaning of seeking the shalom? And the second one is what? Seeking the prosperity of the city. That's a lot simpler, right? You go your work, do your best. It's not about you re- it's not about you removing yourself from the city, right? Because it's sacred, I mean, it's uh, secular or evil. It's not about even resembling to that city. It is about being there, representing who you are distinctively, working hard and bringing all welfare and prosperity to that city. And then what's the third one? Pray to the, pray to the Lord for that city. Not only do we pray for our family, we have to pray for our city as well. I know we can't do this by ourselves. But with God, we can do that. Because when you read the book of Daniel, you will see the lots of the Lord's intervention, Lord gave, God gave, God gave, even in the one chapter, chapter one, you'll find that. I want to ask you, brothers and sisters, our job, as we are living in this foreign, hostile country, right, as you are experiencing this even identity, Christ, make sure that God is in control, in this out of control world. God is in charge in this world. So make sure to continue to seek peace, shalom, do your best wherever you are, and continue to pray for this city. And I believe that's the way. And that's what we are going to see for next three weeks. Amen? Amen? Let us pray. Our God of heaven, just want to give you praise for the message that you have given to us. Our job, Lord, is not about being resembled to this community, not about removing ourselves from this community. I believe our true job is to be with this community but not of this community continue to keep our faith but seeking shalom and peace into this community and our own work and our own family our church setting and in whole this community and also nationwide it is also for us to work hard for the prosperity of this community we pray that because our god who is in charge we pray for all our savior jesus said.